0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Thank you, Adam. Good morning, church. You can go ahead and have a seat, whether you are on in person or online. We're glad you are here. So this morning, I want you to go to Esther chapter 5. Esther chapter 5 is going to begin with this incredible uh, scene filled with intrigue and tension. And it's all about this. is Have you ever had one of those moments where you needed God to really do something? Or to ask it this way, that you had to put your trust in God to move or to do because something was totally outside of your control. I was thinking back this last week. Two things just really popped into my mind. Uh, one was almost 20 years ago, in fact, a little over 20 years ago. Uh, Marla and I were going to move to Dallas. And if you've been around here long, you've probably heard this one. Um, going to DTS, moving to Dallas, put our house on the market, and it sold really quickly. The guy and his family wanted to move in, and we're two weeks away from that day. And we have no place to live and no jobs. Uh, Been accepted to school, but we had no way to pay for it and nowhere to live. And it was a a Friday, and we got up. We thought, let's just go to Dallas. Let's go to the school. Uh, Maybe they've got some jobs. I guess we could go look at apartments. And we just headed out. And we get to Canton. My brother calls me. And he says, uh, hey, I've got a friend who owns this business, and he'd like to hire you. And I said, well, he doesn't even know me. He said, no, it's fine. He knows me. He said, yes, he'd hire you on the spot. Uh, So before we even get out of East Texas, I already have a job, Uh, we get to almost uh, Mesquite around that area, and a friend calls me and says, hey, we were in Dallas, Uh, do you want us to call and see if the rent house is available that you could possibly use? And we're like, sure. In fact, he was a DTS student. He said, it's close to the school. So they called us back and said, yes, they'd like to meet you. Um, So we went, we met the couple at the house that afternoon and uh, they said great it's yours uh it was massive it was like 800 square feet uh two bedroom one bath uh but it was perfect for what we needed and said we'll let you move in no deposit we know your friends they'll vouch for you we'd love for you to be able to move in we thought man two out of three god that's not bad uh talking to this family a great couple uh living there let us rent their house and asked marla what she did and she said well i'm a teacher and you know, I'm looking for a job, and she said, well, I'm the curriculum director at Allen ISD, and I've got a friend that's a principal. Uh, would you like to visit with them? And I said, yes, called them, met that day. And so before we even got out of Dallas, God providentially provided a house and two jobs, something that was totally outside of our hands. We had to put our trust in, God, you're going to have to do something. And then I remember back when uh, many of you walked through uh, our adoption of Ofi, and she's legally ours. We'd met her, waiting on her travel papers is all we needed. It's January, we went and uh, saw her and thought we'd be back uh, about spring break. Well, spring break rolled around and uh, some issues happened within the government and they really began slowing down processes of approval or travel documents. And uh, then the summer came. Then we began really getting worried, trying to check things. What do we do? What do we do? And even writing our state senator, our congressman, trying to get somebody to help us out and, uh, to getting those documents. Well, then August came and September came. And then it hits October. And I don't know what it is between the Kirkendalls and God, but two weeks seems to be this window that he likes to get us in. And we are two weeks away from all of our international papers expiring. And they told us it'd probably take about six to nine months to get everything resubmitted and reapproved. And you'd almost start the process over just to keep everything up to date. And within two weeks of all those paperwork expiring, we finally get the call. Our papers are ready. You can now travel over. But if you've never been in one of those moments that uh, everything outside of your control, you feel entirely helpless, and then you get on the other side and you look back and you realize, how providential God is. And that's what this book is all about. And we are going to see this incredible scene this morning from Esther chapter 5. So if you'll turn there, look at how verse 1 begins. It says, on the third day. If Think back, uh, Esther had called for a fasting. And uh, just to kind of back up just a minute, remember the murder decree has gone out. Genocide of the Jews is about to happen. Mordecai goes to the king's gate. He's in sackcloth and ashes in mourning, but he can't come in because the king won't allow that inside his gate. Esther is in the palace, and she has no idea what is going on, completely secluded. So Mordecai tells her, it's time. Call upon the king. Plead on behalf of your people. Let them know who you are. She says, hold on. Mordecai, it's not that easy. If I go in and announce, the king could have me put to death. And then he sent word back to her and said, but perhaps you are where you are for a time such as this. Maybe this is the moment that you are the queen of Persia. She was faced with the decision we saw last week, and finally we saw where she said, okay, and if I perish, I perish. But do this, call upon a three-day fast. And we are now at the end of that fast and Esther has made her decision. And here's what you realize, that this is the moment when you're like watching the movie. And all of a sudden the music kind of changes, it slows down, the lighting adjusts, and everything is almost put in slow motion because we are meant to feel the tension of what we were about to read. It says, Esther put on her royal robes, this beautiful extravagant gown, And notice where she is. She stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters. So here she is at the door, dressed in her royal robe, and her life and the life of her people hinges on this moment about what is about to happen. So then the camera is about to shift to the throne room and give you a different perspective. And it says, while the king was sitting on his royal throne, inside the throne room opposite the entrance of the palace. So inside, here's the king sitting on his royal throne opposite her. And you are meant to see and to feel this. And here's Esther standing all alone in her royal robe. The king is on the opposite end of the room, sitting on his throne. There she is, standing all alone. And here is the king surrounded by his armed guards with swords and spears. And they are separated by this vast distance of this room with columns separating them. But what we're to see is the king is sitting on the throne. He is the one that holds all the power. And here's Esther. She's standing, waiting, risking everything that she has, even her life, to see the king that holds no power. But this moment, here's what's about to happen She's wondering, is the king about to tell his guards to draw their swords and spears or will he extend the golden scepter? And the fate of Esther and Israel is resting on this moment. What is about to take place? Then in verse 2, notice what it says. And when the king saw Queen Esther, and I want you to know this about this, is that up until this time, she has only been referred as queen one time. From this point on, in chapter 5, verse 2, she will be referred to the queen 16 times, and I'm about to show you why. Notice where she is standing in the court. And she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. The king was pleased to see her. Can you imagine the relief that she must have felt in that moment? And the king said to her in verse 3, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you even to the half of my kingdom. So I think the king can see something that he looks at the expression on your face and she can, he can see that something is bothering her and he wants to fix it because that's what men do. We want to fix the thing and he says, what do you need? What can I do to help up to half of my kingdom? But this is the dramatic moment. This is where you begin to see a major shift in what's happening because she's now been called queen twice what you're seeing is now she is actually the one in charge. No one realizes it. The queen is now in charge. Here is Esther, this young Jewish peasant who is queen of Persia. She is the one calling the shots. You know what she could have done in this moment? She could have called for the decree of the Jews to be reversed. She could have called for Haman's life. But notice what she does instead. Verse 4, and Esther said, if it pleased please the king, let the king and Haman of all people. Haman, come to a feast today that I have prepared for the king. So as she's fasting three days, talk about some willpower. She prepares a banquet and she invites the king and Haman to come to this private banquet. So in verse 5, the king said, bring Haman quickly. So that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to her, What is your wish? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, It shall be fulfilled. So she waits for their bellies to be full. The wine is flowing. She has their attention. He asked her again, Esther, what can I do to help you? Again, she could have asked for the decree to be reversed. She could have asked for Haman's head on a platter. But it's not time. So notice what she does in verse 7. Then she answered, my wish and my request is this. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, and here's what she's about to ask. Let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and today I will do as the king has said. And I don't know, I have looked long and hard at why does she do this? She has their attention. She has them there. The request has then been made, tell, us, tell me what you need, Esther, and it will be done up to half my kingdom. And she invites them to another feast, invites them to another private party. And for the life of me, I can't find out why. If you can, I'd love to know. But here's the scene is going to shift again. We're going to move away from the king and Queen Esther, and we're going to follow Haman. He's going to leave the banquet. He's about to head home, but something is about to happen on his way back. And Haman, notice how he went out that day joyful and glad of heart. I mean, he had just been honored by the queen, been able to feast with the king and queen privately, and now he's been invited to another private party tomorrow. But on his way home, something happens that's going to turn his joy and gladness into full-on rage. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, then neither rose nor trembled before him, and he was filled with wrath against Mordecai something about this, that he is joyful and he is glad of heart. But when he sees Mordecai, he is full of rage. He is full of wrath. And so notice what he does. He restrained himself and he went home and he sent and he brought his friends and his wife Zeresh to them. So, what does somebody do when they feel bad He's going to try to make himself feel better, and notice what he does. In verse 11, he gathers them together. He says, sit down, I need you to listen to me for a moment. And he recounted the splendor of his riches. He said, do you realize how much I am worth? Do you see all of my riches? People must be envy of this. And the number of my sons. I have, as if he had any control over that. Notice all of my sons. All of my promotions. Do you see my wall of trophies? Which the king has honored me. And how he has advanced me among the officials and the servants to the king. That I am second in power in the entire, the most amazing kingdom, the most powerful kingdom in the world. And then Haman said, Even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast that she prepared. I mean, that's how special I am. And tomorrow, if that's not enough, I've been invited by her. I heard it from her own mouth, together with the king. But Haman is so controlled by the hatred and the anger that he has to Mordecai, Notice what he says about all of those things in verse 13. Yet, all of this is worth nothing to me as long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. He said, it's meaningless if this man will not bow down, if he will not tremble at my presence. And he is consumed with hatred Mordecai, And so I just wrote myself a note about the dangers of anger. And how controlling, if it goes unconfessed, that that can be. And all you have to do is to turn your TV on and see it in living color. Watching a man pleading for his life as it is choked out of him. And then a nation coming in raids and riots, happening day and night, when anger turns to wrath. Because listen to Psalm 37. Refrain from anger. Keep it in check. Confess it. Turn from wrath, because they lead to evil. And we are seeing it in living color. But that's not the advice Haman gives. Look at what they tell him to do in verse 14. Then his wife Zeresh and his friends, they said to him, Let gallows fifty cubits high be made. And in the morning, tell the king to have Mordecai hanged on. Now, but this isn't the gallows that you see in the westerns where they you know, build the wooden gallows and uh, they would hang a person with the trap door. What they would do, they would take a pole and they would impel someone with the pole. And then they would raise the pole and lift it into a hole in the ground where you would be then suspended in the air. That's where the Romans took this from the Persians to create what we know as the cross. So he says, create gallows, and notice it says 50 cubits. That is 75 feet high, seven and a half stories, that it would be taller than any tree in the land. It says, build that. Go to the king and impale, hang Mordecai on. And notice what it says he does. That idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made that very night. He had those gallows built. And so here's what you're seeing. You're seeing two major plans. Two different plans in contrast. There's the plan of Haman and the plan of Esther. One is to destroy lives and one is to save lives. One is selfishness and guided by that. Another is controlled by selflessness. Esther's is out of wisdom and patience, but Haman is. It's out of foolishness and pride. And over the next two weeks, we are going to see these two plans colliding into each other. But what I want to do this morning is I want to go back to that original scene in the throne room. Because it's just too powerful to move by too quickly. First of all, the tension was so thick. The queen, she's meant to be standing there all alone alone. Completely helpless. The king sitting on his throne, holding all the power surrounded by guards. And in that moment, she is placing her life and the life of her people in his hands. But I think we should note Esther's story, this scene, is also a shadow of one to come as Esther, she is placing her life on the line for her people. But we read that she found favor instead of condemnation. She was accepted rather than than rejected. She found life and not death. But years later, another person placed his life on the line for his people. But instead of finding favor, It says that he was condemned. Instead of being accepted, he was ultimately rejected and became the object of wrath. That Jesus, even though he was not guilty, he died so that others could have life. That he was not spared so that God could finally extend mercy. Because I want you to know, it is one thing to believe that there's a God. That there's a king sitting on a throne. It's one thing to believe that that king would actually send his son to die on the cross for people's sins. But it is entirely a different thing to stand in the opposite end of that room knowing you have no hope. There is no power to save yourself and you put your life in the life in the hands of the king. That is something totally different. So here's what I want us to take from today. You know, you'll have some moments in your life, maybe you're actually in one right now, where in order for something to happen, God is going to have to move. So the next time we find it difficult to trust God and we need Him to move, I pray you will go back to that picture of Esther standing all alone on the opposite end of the king's throne room. Trusting her life and the lives of her people in His hands. And that just like Esther, you will be able to experience the fullness of God's providence. In the meantime, church, let's pray. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com.